Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and our series on Resolve. Can you believe our first month of 2020 is nearly at an end? I am marking this one a huge success with the awesome guests featured in this series who have made us start out this year with more passionate resolve, and today's guest is a true treasure. Chrissy Romano Arabito is a career teacher and proud of it. She is currently a second grade teacher at Nellie K. Parker Elementary School in Hackensack, New Jersey, and has over 26 years of experience as an elementary and middle school teacher. Chrissy is dedicated to teaching the whole child, stimulating and supporting innovation in classrooms and strives to provide authentic learning experiences for her students. Her true passion lies in nurturing the quiet kids, those that tend to fall through the cracks, those that truly need a champion to support and advocate for them. Connect with her online at the Connected Edu or follow the hashtag Quiet Kids Count. In this episode, Chrissy teaches us much about the misconceptions we have around quiet kids in classrooms and in society, helps bust some myths about extroversion and introversion, and shares her strong voice and advocacy for all learners in our classrooms, but specifically for quiet kids. I love this conversation and am proud to amplify for you Chrissy Romano Arabito's resolved story. Welcome Chrissy Romano Arabito to the In Awe podcast. I am so excited that you're joining me today. Hey, I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's the pleasure is all mine. So Chrissy, would you do me a favor? I introduced you in the bio, but I'd like for you to have an opportunity to share with the listeners, you know, a little bit about your current context and what you're up to in this wonderful world of ours. Sure. Absolutely. So I am in a a different area than you are, right? We, I am in Bergen County, New Jersey. I am teaching second grade, which is brand new for me after 26 years of teaching. Um, it's the one grade level from pre-K four up through middle school English that I have not taught, but I absolutely love every minute of it. Let's see. I've been very busy advocating for quiet kids by doing podcasts like this, um, speaking at conferences and doing workshops at schools, basically to help better inform teachers and educators um, and administrators about the power of introverts and how to best meet their needs and how we can guide them uh, to greater success. And two things that I'm really passionate about. Um, obviously, is providing a nurturing environment for kids so they can unleash their true potential, um, especially those quiet kids, but also teacher wellness and the importance of self-care. So in other words, I already love you. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to unpack a little bit about, just given what you've just shared, a little bit about why we chose to have you on the Resolve series. And part of that is I just share a deep and abiding love for introverts. I'm married to one. Also note that he does a really fine job of reminding me all of the stereotypes that the world has about extroverts and introverts. And I also have my own fascination with this whole idea of our obsession a little bit with introvert versus extrovert. And when we don't think about the rest of the you know, categories that go with, for example, the Myers-Briggs. But I want to know, first of all, could you educate us just a little bit about uh, why you are so resolved to advocate for quiet kids, as you call them? So... Yeah, it, it's it's um, an area that's very near and dear to my heart um, because of my son, Christopher. He has really struggled through most of his school experience, um, especially in elementary school and, and 
you know, partly through middle school, he started to kind of find his way. Um, and it's through his experience and struggles that have really, you know, brought me to write the book that I wrote and to do the work that I do and, and to really kind of dig in and, um, try to help people be more aware of what introverts really are. Um, because he is, he is not only an introvert, he's a shy introvert and they're not necessarily, um, the same thing, but he very much, um, you know, struggled to be a part of the classroom community, very easily overlooked. Um, as most of our quiet kids are, they're the kids that fall through the cracks. And it's very easy for teachers to focus their attention on the kids that are, you know, ooing and eyeing and raising their hands and, um, or, you know, the, the challenging kids that, you know, you're struggling to deal with every day. Our quiet kids are, are you know, they're quiet and they just they're easy. Um, they tend to be good students and they tend to be well-behaved, um, which, you know, it's really, I've done it myself. <laughs> so it's not our fault, um, but it's way too easy to overlook those kids. And, and my son has been um, one of those kids and, you know, he struggled to advocate for himself. So for many years I had to advocate for him and then it made me look at the kids in my class that come before me and, you know, look back on students that I've taught in the past. And it kind of all, you know, came together um, in, in that way. I love that you have this resolve based upon kind of a pain point in your heart for your son. But also mm -hmm. I really value that you said, you know, like it's easy to do that. And I've done that myself and anybody who is listening, who has been in education, or maybe you've, you know, you've led some type of a youth event or something like that. Maybe you're imagining those, the quiet kids in your, in your space right now going, Oh, it's me too. I've done that. Yes. Yeah. It's so easy uh, for that to happen. And so thank you for your advocacy and for your resolve to do that. So I'd like to hear just a couple of things in regard to some of the misconceptions. Cause you, you know, to start there, you said, well, my son, he's a quiet kid. Uh, he's a shy introvert. So could you share with us, like, what are the, what are the differences that you're kind of putting together when you say there's difference between a shy introvert and is there another kind? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, you know, there's that typical shy introvert that most people think of when they think of introversion. It's, um, you know, the, the, the quote unquote quiet kid, um, but that's not always the case. So you could also have kids that are shy that are not introverts and you can have introverts that are shy. So it's, it's, it's a hard distinction, I think, for some people to make. Um, and it really very much is uh, a stereotype. So somebody like me, for instance, I'm not necessarily shy. I can be situationally shy. So if you put me in a room full of complete strangers, I I can guarantee I will hang back, I will observe, I will take it all in. Um, I will never approach someone like I will wait to be approached. But I'm not like that on the regular daily basis. If I'm comfortable and, you know, with, you know, my people, my my teammates at school or with my, you know, best friends and, you know, I could appear to be, you know, loud and outgoing and boisterous. Um, so I, I don't necessarily have that shy quality. Whereas my son um, and, and many introverts are definitely more low key and on the quiet side. Um, however, I would say a trait that most introverts do um, possess is this idea of being a little more reserved. 
that it does take us time to kind of warm up and open up um, to those around us. And, and once we're comfortable, it's like, look out, like, here we come, <laughs> you know, we're, <laughs> we're like in our zone and feeling good. And, and, you know, um, I've had students and, and, you know, my son also, you get them talking about something they're interested in and they can just talk a blue streak, but it, you know, on the regular, they're like super, super quiet. Um, so that's, that's definitely a misconception that all introverts are quiet. I'm um, sorry, that all introverts are shy. That's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're busting this open. And um, it's a topic that I'm honestly quite interested in myself. Um, Just spent some time and actually wrote about it in uh, Lead with Faith because just about kind of like knowing yourself um, over the span of your life. And so have really dived into this in a more detailed way. And I think about it. And I think really the misconception, and you're the expert because you focused in on this, you tell me, I think we think that introverts are quiet, they are reclusive, um, and extroverts are outgoing and out there when in reality, it's really about how we gain our energy. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely true. So it's not how we spend it, it's how we gain it. So can you talk a little bit about that and help our listeners that may not be as familiar with that idea? Sure. So it's it's not only how we gain our energy, but it's also how we restore our energy. So I like to think um, sometimes in terms of like a cell phone battery and extroverts, the more they use apps and live stream and watch videos and surfing the internet and doing all that sort of stuff, um, they would build up their battery. They would build up their energy. So when they go to a party and they're surrounded by lots of people that gives them more energy and they want to stay there. And it's just like, they're the life of the party. However, introverts are different in that way. They're like the traditional cell phone battery. The more you use it, the more interaction, the more and quickly their battery drains. And in order for them to restore and re-energize, we really look for quiet and serenity and peace. Um, So that's kind of where that stereotype comes from. And and it's funny that you mentioned earlier that you're married to an introvert. So I'm assuming that you're not one. (laughs) 90% extrovert. If you look at the (laughs) Myers-Briggs, that's me. So the interesting thing is introverts tend to surround themselves with extroverts. So like my husband is an extrovert. My daughter is an extrovert, but my son and I are not. Um, And it's just it's just an interesting balance to kind of see that in relationships. And I see that um, my son and his friends, his two best, best friends are extroverts and my two best friends are extroverts. Um, So that's that's interesting to look at, too, is how you show up in relationships and how that kind of balances out. So another misconception is that we don't like people. We don't like to socialize. Um, You know, we are reclusive. And that's not necessarily the case. We tend to be that way when we need to kind of build up our energy again. So I could go out with my my besties for dinner and drinks and have an awesome time, you know, for three or four hours. But I'll tell you, at that point, I'm done. <laughs> I'm ready to go home. But then kind of leave me alone for the next day and a half. Like I need to just kind of chill and, you know, build up my energy again. So that's hopefully that kind of explains things a little bit better. 
I think it does. And I, and I'm hoping that there's a listener too, just going, wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way because I think for me, um, you know, we always think the performers are the extroverts and, and all that. But I, I think, uh, people like, for example, Brené Brown has said that she's an introvert. She can be a very dynamic speaker. She can speak to thousands yeah. in a room. Um, and she just, she needs to be able to then set the boundaries to preserve her energy after the fact, right? Like, so she can be her best version. Yeah. And so absolutely. that's, yeah, I feel like that's absolutely. a really good example. And I think about, um, you know, when you're talking about relationships and how we surround ourselves with that, you know, cause life is kind of like this balance piece. It's interesting to figure out how that would impact the classroom and the groupings. If you knew your students and you understand how they were made up, how you could kind of leverage that. Do you ever talk about that piece? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a whole chapter on that in the book about that. Awesome. Well, do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So it, it, it really is important to, I mean, we all know this, you hear this all the time, you know, relationships first and relationships are key and, and it really truly is. I mean, that's why everybody talks about it. It's incredibly important um, to really get to know your, your kids and, and how they tick. Um, and when you're putting groups together, you have to be mindful of that um, because introverts and the quiet kids, um, we don't like to fight for space in the room or in the conversation. We almost feel like we don't need to. Um, and if you don't pave the way as the teacher, as the educator guiding things, and you don't set up situations where, you know, kids have equal time to speak, um, there is going to be an imbalance, especially with group work. And we see now, you know, all you hear about is communication, collaboration, teamwork, um, you know, PBL and it's, that's working together. And, and, you know, I think about our middle school and high school kids and how they go from class to class to class. And if as educators, you don't meet together as teams, and sometimes that's not possible, or sometimes your uh, kids are not on a team, so to speak, and they just go from one class to the other. Think about the dynamics of that, especially for an introvert, how absolutely exhausting all that social interaction can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are times when my son will, you know, I pick him up from school and by four o'clock he's out like a light. He is sleeping on the couch and he will sleep straight through to the next day because of just sheer exhaustion. Um, if it's one of those, you know, kind of days. So it's mindful also to be aware of your structure. You know, how are you planning your lessons? Like, are you building in time, um, quiet time or, or time for kids to reflect? And I'm not saying don't pair kids up and don't have them work in groups. I'm not saying that at all because I do all of that in my classroom. I did it when I taught middle school and I I do it now that I'm back at the elementary level, but I always make time um, or build time in the day for the kids to stop and kind of come down a little bit and, um, you know, have those moments of quiet in the classroom. So perfect example is if you're doing science experiments or you're doing something in the realm of PBL or the kids are doing, um, like I taught a, a, a makerspace class last year um, when I was in fourth grade. I had every fourth grade you know, student rotate through the class and when they had to do, you know, teamwork activities, I would, you know, they would come together. They, I should say they would have time to think first. They would come together. They would do what they would do. And then I'd say, okay, guys, two minute break. 
you know, go back to your spaces and think about, you know, how you showed up in your group, what you've done so far and what you can do differently for the, you know, the rest of the period. So I just kind of build that in. So it gives kids time to go back into their personal space, think a little bit, gather their thoughts, maybe come up with a quick little strategy or plan if they haven't been heard or weren't able to voice, uh, you know, what they wanted to share or their opinions or ideas. Um, and then they come back together. And I found that that has been more productive. Um, so a lot of people don't think of that. They just think, okay, throw them in there. You know, I, I group them that, you know, the, the personalities, you know, are balanced, but they don't think about taking a few minutes of quiet so kids can gather their thoughts because that's something that's real tricky for introverts. We're not real good on your, on our feet. That's why I kept, you know, saying to you, I really need the questions in advance. I really need to prepare. I need a couple of days. Um, my husband says it all the time. Oh, Chris, you are terrible on your feet. Like, you know, quick witted like that. I'm, I'm not good like that. I, I get very easily tongue tied. Um, even though I have great ideas and things I want to share. Yeah. And it actually makes a lot of sense. And so a couple of things that are swirling in my mind is first, um, teachers are amazing human beings, because when you really think about the amount of preparation and thought that we really have to put into learning opportunities for our students, it's, um, it's complex, but really great teachers, like you said, it all comes down to relationships. They know their students, you know, and if we're in systems that give us the chance to do that even better, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, but then I think too, uh, what you were saying about, um, the questions, you know, I, I like getting my questions ahead of time, but also, um, I, I understand that we had tried to have a loose conversation and I really was actually just having this conversation with some of my um, colleagues in the edge of podcasting world, because I think it's important that I'm trying to be mindful of the varied individuals that I have, you know, um, because I understand that the dynamic is different there. Uh, and that what I was thinking about and how that tied then is to the interview process, like in our professional world as adults, Right. Why are we still stuck in that whole, we got to uh, rapid fire, shoot these questions at people super quickly and not worry about processing time? And I think that's especially true in education field where we should be mindful about different modalities of learning, right? Absolutely. And it's interesting that you bring that up because a colleague of mine um, was recently interviewed. And one of the things she said to me was they asked her about a question along the lines of... Um, not an obstacle. Yeah, yeah, I guess it was something about like an obstacle that she had to overcome. And she was so taken aback by that because she felt it was intensely personal. And did because it wasn't about education. They wanted it, you know, they didn't say what's an obstacle that mm. you encountered, you know, in education or on your, you know, journey to becoming a teacher. Like they they really were digging for like something personal. And you know, she said she was so thrown by that. Um, and I find that amazing. And I, I, I was just stunned by that. And interestingly, interestingly enough, two days later, we were at um, a staff meeting. And one of the staff developers came in to do, um, you know, some some workshopping stuff with us. And the icebreaker, which just saying that right there is a nightmare for introverts. But the icebreaker was to find four people that you don't know well, and that was easy for me because I'm relatively new in my building, 
um, for people that you don't know well, different grade levels, different subject areas. So really people that you don't interact with, you know, on the, on the regular go into this, you know, this space, this room and run down these questions. And one of the questions was that it was like, what's a personal obstacle that you had to overcome? And I was like amazed. Like I just sat there and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I not sharing with three people that I really don't know. Like I'm not comfortable with this at all. And some of the stuff that these people were sharing, I was like, wow, that's so intensely personal and intimate. And they were the extroverts in the group. (laughs) It was like, Hmm. so I just don't think that um, sometimes people aren't aware, you know, they're, they're very aware of themselves and how they show up in situations. And as teachers, you have to know yourself and your personality and how you're going to show up in your classroom. And that's like what we talk about in chapter one of the book. How does your personality affect the students in your class? Are you like go, 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 rah, 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 super outgoing and, you know, wanting kids to get up and high five when they get a right answer? Like that is like a nightmare right there for those quiet kids. And that's you have to be mindful of that. Um, and administrators too, this is also a shout out to you guys. Pay attention to the quiet people on your staff. They're probably some of your st- smartest, strongest people with mm. excellent ideas. Think about how you're tapping into that. I just, you know, it's, it's just something um, people don't are not really aware of. Yeah, I think it's so good. And to just kind of follow back on a couple of things. I want to represent like that interview process and asking about failures and obstacles, I think is really, first of all, the heart of it is trying to get to this idea of a growth mindset, I think, you know, just giving up, just trying to paint a broad stroke there. And I've been in systems. um, First of all, I remember distinctly my very first interview ever, and they never asked me about myself once. And I felt, first of all, I'm in an Enneagram seven, which is like, apparently like most narcissistic, which (laughs) again, I've... (laughs) I've kind of come to terms with that um, piece, but also this extrovert too. I just want, I wanted to make a personal connection because that's what I believe education's about, right? And so I went back for a second interview with a different job, same district. They had the question, just the board member was like, you know what, forget this. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. And I was like, I could belong here, you know? So there's, (laughs) there's something up, you know, to be said about making sure that we have, um, systems that meet all of the needs, right? Like that's, it's a super big challenge, but I also think, um, exercising our non-dominant hand is so super common for all of us. We live in this complex society, right? So there's a space to stretch right on both ends of the, uh, both ends of that spectrum. But I was also thinking too about, uh, you know, there is a bias, um, that we have to acknowledge for extroversion, in our society at large, right? Yeah. The value on extroverts is clear, right? There's been research on this. We know this. But I guess one more thing I wanted to be able to say before we walked away from this is um, there are plenty of administrators out there that are introverts and they're trying to, you know, lead staff. And, and there's that, like, again, having to exercise that non-dominant hand and building cultures and climates of, you know, enthusiasm and joy to be in their jobs too. And so I guess here's what I would really hope that we just kind of pull the thread apart here is just to say what it all comes down to is know thyself and know the people around you, like build up your awareness so that you can, you can be, um, 
mindful of your own tendencies and that you can then start to cultivate practices that engage all, no matter your context, right? Perfectly. Yes, absolutely. I could not have said it better myself. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) I love it. I love your topic. Hey, we got to cover one more. Um, my husband and I have been having this conversation because I have noted that I, I've already shared with you, I'm a 90% extrovert and I totally gain and restore my energy through people. And so a new phase of my life where most often I'm sitting in my basement writing and podcasting <laughs> has been so interesting because my energy has just not been the same because of the fact that I'm not surrounding myself with people constantly. Like I have to build that in. And we were laughing. One day I came back after doing a keynote and I was just fired up. I'm like literally dancing around the house. And he just looked at me. He's like, you're such an extrovert. (laughs) 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 And we were kind of laughing about it. But he also said, but you know, you're also this, he's observed and I've seen this in myself too. So I'm curious if you did any studying about that is this idea of ambiverts, but there's a school of thought out there that we actually, most of us are both a mixture of both. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there is, um, it's people who kind of situationally fall, you know, in the middle or have, you know, moments where, or phases of their life, you know, where, where they are more one way than the other. Um, so I would say as I get older, I'm definitely more quiet on the quiet side. Um, if, you know, I look back at myself, you know, when I was in high school, um, I appeared to be more outgoing. Um, now I just don't fake it anymore. (laughs) I don't feel the need. So, I mean, that's part of it too. It's like, you know, I, I always, uh, had the need to find quiet and, you know, restore that energy alone. You know, I, I love reading and I get lost in the world of literature and, um, you know, laying on the beach by myself, reading a book and just listening to the waves and, you know, those sorts of things. Like I, I really, um, find serenity in in all of that. I've always been that way, but yeah, I mean, I can, there is, there is that school of thought about, you know, ambiversion people that kind of fall in the middle of the scale, or sometimes they're more introverted and sometimes they're more extroverted. Um, I did not write about that and talk about in the book per se, because I was really focusing more on, um, you know, the, the, the quiet kids, the kids that fall through the cracks, not those kids that sometimes do and sometimes don't. But yeah, there, there is, there is such a thing, I guess, as, as an ambivert. Well, and it's, it's good. I mean, I wasn't trying to push you outside of the zone of comfort there, but I've just I found such an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. in our world just because I've been focusing on it. And um, to come out, I think I took in this last year, I don't know, three or four assessments just to be sure, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I'm an ENFJ. I've done the same thing and I am definitely an introvert. There's, there's no doubt in my mind um, for me, but yeah, I've done the same thing. I mean, my, you know, I am double majored in sociology and psychology. So I find this uh, in college and with my undergraduate. So I find this stuff, you know, intensely interesting also. Um, So when I was asked to actually write this book, I kind of had to dive back into my roots and, um, it, it had been a long time since, you know, I went back to Young and Myers and Briggs and really, you know, looked into personality theory. And, and it's interesting. I, I, I personally find it interesting. I know some people don't believe in it and they think that Myers Briggs is, you know, hogwash. Um, 
And it, it just depends on how you're feeling at the time when you answer the questions and there really should be no, you know, it's, it's not valid or reliable, you know, way of assessing people. But I'll tell you something, Fortune 500 companies use it mm-hmm. all the time. Counselors, um, you know, use it just to kind of get a feel for anytime you take those aptitude tests, like what kind of a, a career, you know, would, would it be? A lot of that that is is based on the foundation of Young and Myers and Briggs and, and their whole um you know, thought process behind personality theory. So I, I, I just find it super um, interesting as well. And it's definitely a trend now. Also, I see lots of blogs that talk about introversion. And um, I think Susan Cain really opened the door when she did that TED talk and wrote that book quiet um, and started this uh, movement, the quiet revolution. And uh, for me, when I saw her TED talk, that's what opened the door for me. And I was like, wow, that's what I am. I'm, I am an introvert. Um, I'm like, that explains me perfectly. Exactly. I'm like not broken and, and, you know, nothing needs to be fixed and I'm okay with who I am. And, um, and that's a huge, huge misconception that, that, uh, I shouldn't say misconception, a stereotype is that, you know, quiet kids or introverts are broken and need to be Mm. fixed. Um, I've heard a million times, like we need to bring them out of their shells. I can't stand that. It, it, they're being in their shells is okay. <laughs> it's okay to be that way. We just have to find ways to teach them, you know, how to be successful in an extroverted world. Because you mentioned before that, you know, especially Western society, we really um, value this uh, extrovert ideal and. Equi kids don't fit that mold. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not here to say, and the book definitely does not say, don't do this and don't do that. And, you know, cater to introverts, you know, we need to teach them how to be successful in an extroverted world. So we do need to teach skills and strategies and, and, you know, coping mechanisms, if you want to, you know, call it that, um, in order to function. And many of us introverts, um, have to wear this mask, of an extrovert that Susan Cain talks about in her book and in, in her TED talk that we have to put that mask on and we fake it till we make it um, sometimes every day. Mm. And that's hard and it's exhausting. And, and um, when I move down to second grade and I teach the, you know, the little kids now and I come home and I easily take an hour nap <laughs> easily um, almost every day because there's so much social interaction with the little kids. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That is just such a different world, isn't it? It's- Love it. And every minute with them, I, I think second grade is the sweet spot for so many reasons. And I hope to finish out um, a terrific you know, career in the classroom teaching second grade. I tell my, my principal all the time, please don't move me. I, I love it here. Now that I'm here, I love it. So, you know, I'm an advocate for myself. I love it. Um, I have a second grader and I have volunteered in her classroom and I can see what you're talking about there. There's just so many nice foundational blocks built so that you can kind of start stretching and it's just kind of a fun age. Yeah. Yeah. And you could really, really make learning fun. You know, when you get to some of the older grades and Um, Or just as soon as, unfortunately, testing, you know, becomes a thing. Um, I've done that, too, in third and fourth grade. A lot of the love of learning and the fun in learning is just thrown out the window um, because of all the pressure, you know, with testing. But that's a whole other conversation. But anyway... 
I was just going to say, oh no, we're going to have to have you back in another series. So, uh, wow. I've just loved this conversation and I'm so glad we had it. Um, really love what we've been talking about with just kind of this self-knowledge and being able to lead well, wherever you are with the people around you, just having better awareness. And I love blowing open this, uh, whole misconception for introversion and extroversion. I have a student who I just adore, former student and she is so gifted, just a, one of the most gifted actresses, um, creatives that I've ever known. And I had her on the podcast last year and she said to me, well, Mrs. Johnson, I'm an introvert and there's nothing wrong with that. And I said, you're darn right. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that whole mask that you're talking about is so very real. So, so very real. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm glad that you've been resolved to do it. And I'm so honored that I got to share all of that wonderful content and information with our listeners. And I will go ahead and make sure to link that um, TED Talk that you're referencing. And of course, addition to your book. Um, but we got to get to those two standard questions that my listeners are used to hearing on this podcast. Are you ready for them? You know, I am ready. Okay, great. So Chrissy, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? So I think pretty much my 51-year-old self would tell my 25-year-old self um, to be true to who you really are. And, you know, don't try to be something that you're not or be something for someone else. Um, You know, for for many, many years, um, I had this nickname that my first husband and and my in-laws used to call me the the ice queen because they felt I was so reserved all the time and that I was better than them. And it really wasn't that. It's just that they were a very um, lively and boisterous group of people. And they were definitely extroverts, (laughs) very outgoing. Um, and I really didn't fit in and, and it was really uncomfortable for me. And I would just try to do things and say things and be a different way, um, in order to please them when I wasn't really being, you know, true to myself and, and, um, who I really was. And although we all have voices and that's another pet peeve of mine that, um, a lot of times people try to say, we want to give an introvert a voice give these quiet kids a voice. They have a voice. We just have to find ways to amplify that voice. And I've learned now that I am 51 and I look back to the way I was in my, you know, um, my twenties and my early thirties. I have to advocate for myself. I should have been. Um, and I, I should have just stuck by my guns and, and, you know, been true to myself and not trying to be, I guess, a people pleaser. So yeah, I would definitely, I look back at that and those are things that I would change. And, um, you know, I, I try to impart that on, you know, the younger women in my life uh, that I come upon. My daughter's 22 now and when I meet her friends and, you know, we sit down and we talk and chit chat and whatever, um, you know, stay true to who you are. I think that's really important. We need to be allowed to be our authentic selves. And it's just yep. so stinking hard to do that in this world for so many reasons. Absolutely. Love that message. All right. So how about this one? As an influential woman, if we have listeners who find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and they need to hear your words right now to help them up out, what would you say? So I thought a lot about this and I was like, wow, that's kind of really heavy. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> what would I say? Um, Cause I don't kind of see myself as that kind of person with these like profound words, but 
you know, there is something that I learned um, way too late in life. And I, I wish I kind of, you know, was more of this person earlier, but to find whatever your goal or your dream is and just take one step at a time to, to get there. Um, I get very easily overwhelmed when I look at things like as a whole. So for me, I try to break things down and do one thing a day or maybe say three days a week to work towards that goal. Um, I don't try to, you know, kill myself with every day, day in and day out. You know, I have to do this and I have to do that. Um, you know, I, I work really hard but I play really hard too. And you have to make time for that balance to work toward your goal, take it one step at a time. But sometimes you have to, you know, take a step back and just chill and just relax and just do something for fun. Um, you know, go out with your friends, take, take your daughter out for lunch, go to the movies by yourself. Um, you know, listen to an audio book in the car that only you want to listen to. I mean, it's so it's a combination, I would say, take one step at a time to keep that goal out there and, and continuum continually work towards it. But cut yourself a break once in a while and just cut loose and, and have some fun. You, you can't be totally serious about things all the time. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the pit of doubt or fear. It'll happen if you just keep taking these little tiny baby steps toward that goal or that dream it'll happen for you, but you do need to step back and put things in perspective and, and enjoy life. Um, you know, while, while you're still, you know, happy and healthy, you know, that saying that my mother and my grandmother used to say this all the time, youth is wasted on the young. They don't know what they have when they have it. And I'm seeing that now that I'm in my fifties that, you know, work towards that goal, but you definitely have to take the time for yourself and, and live life to the fullest. That's so good. And I love how you gave the example that living life to the fullest could mean just chilling. <laughs> you know? yes. So that's so good. Yes. It's a great message coming from you. I'm well, that's the teacher wellness thing. Like I'm very, very big on self-care and wellness. And I've learned a lot um, in the last six months about that. So that's a, a huge, um, you know, self-check for me that I, I'm constantly, that's always on my mind. Like I work hard and I do everything I need to do you know, for the book and, you know, trying to sell the book and writing the book and promoting the book and all the things I do in my classroom for my students every day. I mean, I work really, really hard, but there are some days when I just come home and I put in my earbuds and I listen to the science fiction book I'm reading right now. And I, you know, I'm crocheting a blanket for my 91 year old mom. And I just sit there and chill and do that. And, and that's it. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And that's okay you know, to take time for yourself. But that's a whole nother conversation also <laughs> that we can have at another time. <laughs> yeah, one that I have an intense passion for as well. So thank you for bringing it to that level. So Chrissy, I am certain, of course, I will uh, link the references that we've had in this conversation. I will make sure that listeners know how to get a hold of your book. Could you just let them know what the best way is for them if they want to engage with you? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, I try to keep it consistent <laughs> across social platforms. So at the connected edu is my handle on Twitter and Instagram. Um, on Voxer, I am Chrissy Romano Arabito. So just look for my name. 
My website is theconnectededucator.com. And if you want to connect with me on Facebook, which I say is the best place to do so, I find it, it's so much easier to dive into conversations. Um, Again, the name is Chrissy Romano Arabio. So I try to keep it consistent so people can find me. Awesome. Well, I will be certain, of course, then to link those as well in the show notes for listeners. So it's just easy to get to you. Chrissy, I want to thank you so much for this really dynamic and interesting conversation. I've learned, I've enjoyed it. I know my listeners have also gained so much value from this inspiring interview. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Speaking of resolve, I slayed some giants in 2019 and I'm thrilled to let my in-off community know that Lead with Faith, Building a Firm Foundation so you can rise up, slay fear, and serve well, launched this month and is available right now. You know I believe there is a mission in all of our messages and I cannot wait to see where this one lands to those who need it. The link is in the show notes as always. Blessings, friends. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast. You are joining us in the middle of an awesome series on creativity and the stories here continue to both push and inspire me. My hope in this whole series is that you begin to think about what creation means in your own world and that these messages land in a way that empowers something inside of you to reignite what makes you unique. Today's guest shared messages that I needed when I interviewed her and again in the re-listening and I cannot wait for you to hear her message today. Dr. Monica Burns is a curriculum and ed tech consultant, Apple distinguished educator and founder of classtechtips.com. Monica was part of her school's leadership team and was a vocal advocate for bringing one-to-one technology into her classroom. As a classroom teacher, Monica used iPads to create an engaging, differentiated learning experience to meet the unique needs of her students. Realizing the power of digital tools in the classroom, Monica started ClassTechTips.com to provide a resource for educators. Since starting ClassTechTips.com, Monica has presented to teachers, administrators, and tech enthusiasts at numerous national and international conferences, including South by Southwest EDU, ISTE, FETC, and Edutech. She is a webinar host for Simple K-12 and a regular contributor to Edutopia. Monica is the author of Task Before Apps, Designing Rigorous Learning to a Tech-Rich Classroom through ASCD, Hashtag Formative Tech, Meaningful, Sustainable, and Scalable Formative Assessments with Technology through Corwin, Deep Learning with QR Codes and Augmented Reality through Corwin, and co-author of 40 Ways to Inject Creativity into Your Classroom with Adobe Spark. Monica visits schools across the country to work with pre-K through 20 teachers to make technology integration exciting and accessible. In addition to being named an Apple Distinguished Educator in 2013, Monica is graduate of the University of Delaware and Hunter College and completed a doctorate in Global Education Leadership at Lamar University. University in 2016. In this episode, we learn about how Monica has learned to harness her own creativity while serving others to develop theirs. From her time as a teacher in the classroom to her current reality, Monica inspires us to consider the ways we can tap into our schools, our skills to create experiences that matter. I am really excited for you to learn so much from this strong leader and deeply honored to share with you Dr. Monica Burns's creativity story. <laughs> 